0: Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 5:13 to 16. Abednego already read most of it, actually, and um, I don't even think we planned this. To be honest, this is just the way that it happened, which is which is awesome. So, Matthew 5:13 to 16. If you've got your Bibles, just turn to that right now. It says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This morning, we're going to be looking at the fact that we are a city. We're going to look at what that means, and we're going to look particularly at what that means for the city around us. We are a city, and what that means for the city in which we live the city of Dubai, the city that we love. Verse 14 says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, Jesus specifically uses the word city here, okay? Doesn't use any other word. He uses the word, Greek word polis, okay? And that means city or city state or body of citizens, And he is very specific about using the word city. And what he is saying is, Christians, like us, believers, are citizens of a city. The city of God. We are citizens of the city of God. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus used the word city, it would have brought certain things to the minds of those who were listening to him. And even as we use the word city today, it should bring certain things to our mind. I've got three things, okay? Firstly, community. Now, in Jesus' day, cities were not necessarily defined by the size of their population, but rather the density of their population. You might have a city that was a 1,000, maybe 2,000 people but it wasn't to do with the size of the population, but more to do with the density of the population. You see, the surface area, if you like, square mileage of of a city in those days, wouldn't have been huge, it would have been small, they would have been surrounded by walls. And those people lived in very close proximity to one another. If you've ever been to an ancient city, I've been to a couple, you'll find that the streets are incredibly narrow. They're not really streets, actually, as we would call them. We'd call them more alleyways. And the buildings are not particularly high. don't have high-rises like Dubai. Very low-rise buildings. And you would have thousands of people packed into these streets, into these cities. The populations were very dense. Community. They lived in community. In every sense of the word, that was community. Secondly, shared life. You see, these streets were incredibly narrow, and they were full of people day in, day out. It's where you did your business. It's where you met people socially. It's where you lived your life. Cities were community, and cities meant shared life. You share your life with people in a city, more so than you do in any rural area. You share your life with people. Thirdly, culture. Cities have their own unique cultures. Cities create cultures, okay? In Dubai, Dubai we have a unique culture in this city. If you go to London, London has its own unique culture. New York, L.A., Beijing, cities have their own unique culture. And those cultures are often very different from the culture you would get in a rural area or on the outskirts of a city. Cities create culture. So when Jesus uses specifically the word city, we should be thinking about community, shared life, And culture. And he says Christians, believers, are a city, citizens of the city of God. Now, in today's modern world, I want to make an illustration here. There are typically three types of people. Now, this, I know there's going to be exceptions to this, okay? And it's not very nuanced, but to make the point, there are three types of people in today's modern world. Firstly, you have rural settlers, okay? Call them rural settlers. Now, these are people who love where they live because nobody else lives there, okay? They're that kind of people. They love where they live because nobody else lives there. They pretty much live alone. They typically don't like cities at all because cities mean you need to change. Cities mean you need to adapt the way that you live life. Rural settlers, They're quite happy being on their own. They're quite happy that there's not many people around. They're quite happy with their microculture. And they're quite happy doing things the way that they've always done them. And they don't want to change the way that they do things. They're quite happy on their own. Then you get suburban commuters. Now, suburban commuters enjoy certain aspects of city life. There's certain aspects of city life that they enjoy. But they would never fully move into the city. They're quite happy living in the suburbs. They're quite happy living on the outskirts. You see, the city is not going to take their comfortable lifestyle away from them, okay? They're suburban commuters. They may drive into the city once a week. They may drive into the city once a week to go to their favorite restaurant because there's certain bits of the city they like, or to see a show, or just to kind of enjoy certain aspects of city culture, but they would never live there. They take the bits of city life that they enjoy, they leave the rest. Thank you very much. They take from the city what they enjoy. But they would never want to adapt to city life. They would never want to let city culture fully change them and fully absorb them. And typically they enjoy being around their own kind of people a lot. They enjoy and they feel comfortable around their own kinds of people. And thirdly, you've got downtown dwellers, okay? Now, these people are very, very different people. They move right into the city, and they allow the unique culture of the city to change them. They become changed by the unique culture of the city. They spend time with They live with, they work with, they hang out with people that they would never have hung out with when they lived outside of the city. But now they spend their time with people who are very different from them. They love the city. They enjoy doing life in the city day in, day out. They typically change the way that they do life, the way that they spend their money, the way that they spend their time, maybe the way that they eat the way that they shop, maybe even the way that they dress. The city changes them. They give themselves to community and they become true citizens of the city. They're downtown dwellers. Now, where am I going with this? The point I want to make is we typically find these three types of people in the church as well. Even in a city church like ours, you typically find these three types of people. You've got your rural settlers. Now, these are people who believe that they don't really need church to be good Christians. They're saved, but you know what? We don't really need community. They typically believe that church possibly even gets in the way of them really being effective for God. Church gets in the way of them doing their own personal ministry. It gets in the way of their personal calling. They don't really want community. They don't really want the church. They believe they can do without it. They may periodically go to church. They may never be a part of the people anytime. You know, maybe they've been hurt in the past. And instead of forgiving, which is a part of the culture of the city of God, they decided maybe to distance themselves. They are your rural settlers. They don't see The need for community. They don't see the need for the city of God and to be a part of it. The thing is, Jesus doesn't use individualistic language to describe the church, does he? He says, "You are a city. You are people in community. You are people who share life together, and you are a people who create your own counter-cultural gospel community." He doesn't use individualistic language, but we get these people within the kingdom of God. Secondly, you have your suburban commuters, okay? Now, these people do come to church on a Friday. And actually, they quite enjoy church on a Friday. Maybe they come because they really like the worship. Or they come because they really like the preaching. Maybe they go to one church because they like the worship there. They go to another church because they like the preaching there. They come in, they commute. But then, between Friday and Friday, they're nowhere to be seen. They're not part of the culture. They're not part of the city. They would never really move in downtown. They come into the city when they feel like it. They take what they like, and they go back out to the suburbs, and they're not to be seen for the rest of the week. They're your suburban commuters. The problem with this is we are shaped by community. Do you believe that? We are shaped by community. Think about it for a second. There's a saying, isn't there? I I could say, I am a man of my own making. You're a woman of your own making. The reality is, that is not really true. That is not really true. We are deeply shaped and conditioned by the communities and the cultures that we have given ourselves to or been a part of, particularly in our formative years. Okay, so think about it, for example. Your family, whether you like it or not, have played a part in who you are today. Okay? They have. Whether you like it or not, they have. You are who you are today because of your family, that community that you were a part of in your formative years. Where you work right now, particularly if you work in a company for a long time, there's a certain culture there. Financial industry, for example. That culture will shape you. It will change you. It will be a part of who you are today. Your culture where you grew up in in certain countries will shape you and it will be a part of who you are today. We are, whether we like it or not, shaped by the cultures and communities that we are predominantly a part of. Now, if that's the case, the problem with suburban commuters in the church is this. If they are typically engaged in and connected into the community of the city of man more so than the city of God, they will be shaped more by the city of man than they will be by the city of God. Does that make sense? When you give yourself fully and root yourself fully, and I don't just mean on a Friday, but through the week into the city of God, that community, that culture changes us. And the community of the church, the community of the city of God is designed to shape us, Change us and transform us. It's one of the ways that God uses to sanctify us. And that's why community life in church is not always easy, is it? Because it's designed to rub off some of the rough edges. It's designed to change us, to transform us, to sanctify us. Thirdly, you've got your downtown dwellers. Now, this is the one that we want to be, okay? They become true citizens of the city of God. They move fully in. They move fully downtown and they allow the culture of the city of God to radically transform, shape their lives. They allow the culture of the city of God to radically transform and radically change their lives. You think <laughs> The thing is, churches made up of downtown dwellers predominantly are churches that create strong counter-cultural gospel culture okay? Churches that are made up predominantly, I don't mean you have to move house right now, by the way, I'm talking metaphorically here. Churches that are made up predominantly of downtown dwellers, people have rooted themselves into the city of God, are churches that create their own unique counter-cultural culture, gospel culture. You know, if you find yourself in bondage to the city of man. Maybe you're in debt to the city of man. Maybe you are in bondage to addiction as a result of the city of man. Maybe sin as a result of the city of man. If you find yourself in bondage to the city of man, let me tell you, the answer to that is not in the city of man. The answer cannot be found in the culture of the city of man. Because the city of man will say, work harder, become a better person, Become free, you will save yourself. Because the city of man is built around glorifying man, about saving ourselves. The answer is not found in the city of man. The answer to that is found in the city of God, rooting yourself into the city of God and being totally transformed by the counter-cultural gospel culture that is found here in the city of God. It's churches that understand that we are to be city dwellers that display a unique and compelling counterculture to the city of man. Do you understand that? It's churches that truly understand that we are to be rooted into the city of God. They are churches that display a compelling gospel counterculture to the city of man. And so that is why the city of God is good news for the city of man. That is why the the city of God is good news to the city of man, because it becomes a light that shines out into the darkness. And that is what Jesus is saying in these passages. It becomes a city that shines out into the darkness and reveals to the city of man the truth of who God is and the transformative and the transforming results of the gospel. And that is what Jesus is saying, we are to be. You know, only Christians can create a culture like that. Only Christians can create a counterculture like that. Because you will find nowhere else on the planet where people from all different walks of life, all different cultures can come together, lay aside their differences, lay aside their me first, me first attitude, and say, you first. And prefer one another, and love one another, and put one another first. Why? Because our relationship with the Father has now been healed. And so all our relationships are therefore healed. In ancient times, they built cities like that one, on the top of hills, on the top of mountains, or in high places. The reason they did that was for protection. It's harder to attack a city that's up on a hill like that. You see people coming first, they have a hard time getting up there. Now, there, were no ele- there was no electricity in those days. For those of you who didn't know this, there was no electricity 2,000 years ago. But what would happen is cities would light torches at night. And when those torches were lit, you would be able to see that city for miles around. Everybody in that area could see that city and would be drawn to that city and could find that city. Creating compelling counterculture and not hiding it away, displays to the dark city of man the incredible transformative effects of the gospel and displays the truth of who God is to the world. Here's a challenge. City Hill, our vision is to be a city that cannot be hidden. Yeah, That's why we call ourselves City Hill, a city on a hill. Are we living up to our namesake? Are we a city On a hill? Or are we just a community on a Friday? Are we creating counter-cultural, compelling culture that is a light to the city? Let's ask ourselves this question. Are we right now, are we rural settlers? Are we happy on our own, doing our own thing? Are we commuters? Do we come and take what we want from the church on a Friday, but the rest of the week, you know what, thank you very much, my time is my own, I'm good. Or are we downtown dwellers, fully rooted into the city of God, fully giving ourselves to the city of God, allowing the culture of the city of God to change and transform us, creating a culture here that is a light to the dark city of man? So ask ourselves that question. We are good news because we are light, but we are also good news because we are salt. Now, light, if you like, draws, doesn't it? You see a light, and moths are attracted to light, right? They fly right at light. Light draws, light attracts. Salt, however, has to be applied. Salt goes. Salt needs to be applied to something. Verse 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. (coughs) Now, Jeremiah 29 really helps us to understand what this is all about, okay? Book of Jeremiah 29 helps us to understand this. The people of God had been taken into exile. The Babylonians had captured them and taken them into the city of Babylon. They had brought them into exile. Now, when the Babylonians attacked and overthrew a nation, what they would do is they would take the cultural elites into exile. Okay, They would take the lawyers, they would take the educators, they would take the politicians, they would take the great minds, the people that create culture into Babylon. And the idea was that over time, they would assimilate into Babylonian culture And as they have kids, their kids would further assimilate. And basically over time, their unique culture would be eradicated. They would become Babylonians. They would become part of the culture of that city of man, of Babylon. That was what they did. They brought the Israelites into captivity in the hope that they would lose their unique cultural identity. They would lose what it was that made them God's people. Now, they could have avoided this by Staying on the outskirts of Babylon, yeah? We're in Babylon, but we'll stay on the outskirts. We won't engage into the culture. We'll retain our unique identity. But then Jeremiah comes to the people, and God, through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, particularly in verses 4 to 7, says something that is quite radical, okay? You've heard this before. We've spoken on it before. God says to them, increase in number. Don't decrease increase in other words retain your culture and grow retain what is you what makes you the people of god and grow don't decrease don't assimilate however do not do this by being disengaged from the city do not do this by hiding yourself away from babylon do not do this by living on the outskirts only god says i want you to engage in city life. I want you to be downtown dwellers, even in Babylon. Think, why do that? Surely, surely not. Surely, stay away from that evil, dark city. Retain what is you. Keep away. God says, no, get into the life of the city. He says, build homes. That means you're going to be here a long time, 70 years. Build homes, plant gardens, work. Be good citizens. In fact, be the very best citizens in the city of man. Citizens of the city of God are to be the best citizens in the city of man. He says, seek the prosperity and the peace of the city of man. Because if the city of man prospers, you too will prosper. You too will do well. Basically, what he's saying is, be salt to the city of man. Be salt in the city of man. You see, citizens of the city of God, citizens of the city of God, Christians like us, when we are so shaped by gospel culture are a blessing to whatever city they find themselves in. And that is why God fills cities with churches. It's why God fills the city of man with the city of God so that we can be salt, so that we can be a blessing. It means we see our skills, our abilities, our gifts, our vocation, our resources, not merely as as ways of blessing ourselves and making our own lives better, but God-given gifts, God-given resources for the good of the city of man, for the good of this city, for the city of Dubai. Now, salt, this is salt, okay? I bought this yesterday. Salt as a commodity, that's what you'd call it, has its own unique and distinctive properties, okay? There's certain things about salt that make salt salt. And Jesus says in this passage, a lot of it is taste, the fact that it is salty. If it wasn't salty, we probably wouldn't call it salt. If salt loses the things that make it salt, if it loses this saltiness, it is no longer fit for purpose, is it? If this wasn't salty, I would chuck it away or I'd take it back to Spinney's and ask for my money back. If it wasn't salty, it would be worthless. See, salt is effective and salt is useful under two conditions. Salt is useful if it remains salty. And salt is useful if it is applied to something. It's not all that useful in here right now. I could keep this for the next 20 years and it wouldn't be that useful. Salt is useful when it retains its unique properties and salt is useful when it is applied to something else. That's when it becomes effective. In the same way, the church, the city of God is effective when it retains and builds its own unique counterculture but it retains what makes it the city of God. And when it is, and only when it is, applied to something, when it is applied, rubbed in, poured upon the city of man. You only realize the benefits of salt when you apply it to something else. And the city of man, Dubai, will only really know the benefits of the city of God, it will only see how incredible the city of God, the church is, when the city of God is applied to the city of man, when it is brought into contact with the city of man. Amen? You with me? Good. Now, let's look at three things quickly that salt is used for. Why did Jesus use the word salt? Firstly, it's a preservative. In ancient times, particularly, salt was a preservative. You didn't have refrigerators. And so what you do if you had meat, You would rub salt into it. And salt, what it does is it slows down for a time the kind of microorganisms, the bacteria that cause meat to go bad, that causes meat to rot and to deteriorate. And so they would apply salt to meat to stop it deteriorating. Jesus is saying citizens of the city of God should prevent the culture around them from further deteriorating from getting worse. We should be a preservative in our workplaces, in our schools, in our offices, in our social interactions. We should be preservatives. Let me look at a few quick examples. I want to make this relatively practical to a few of you, okay? Just very quickly. One of the main ways that society deteriorates is through the breakdown of relationships, right? Marriages break down. F- families are left without fathers. The family unit is destroyed. Society deteriorates. Yeah. As Christians and as preservatives, we should be the people that hold relationships together. Relationships in the workplace break down. Business partnerships break down. Friendships break down. Relationships at nation state level break down and it leaves people lonely, isolated, the victims of oppression potentially. Jesus says you are peacemakers. You, we should be a preservative, a peacemaker, no matter where we are looking to hold relationships together, being the glue that holds society together in that way. We are to be preservatives. Let me ask you, around you, do relationships break down or do relationships remain healthy and stay together? As salt, we should be peacemakers, preservatives in our society. Hands up if you are part of the medical profession. If you're a medical professional, a nurse, a doctor, I've seen a few this morning, Ariane, you're you're there. If you are part of the medical professional, let me say something to you. God has you here to bless the city, to preserve and enhance the quality of human life because God cares about this city. God loves Dubai. God loves people and cities are full of people. And God has put medical professionals in cities to be a preservative, save people's lives to maintain and enhance the quality of people's lives. God has brought you here. If you are a security guard, I was talking to a few of you this morning. If you're a security guard, let me tell you something. In the Old Testament, cities were generally called cities of refuge. Okay, Because if you were out in the wilderness and you accidentally killed someone, you would probably be the victim of revenge. And then your family would avenge you and they would avenge them. And it would be a constant cycle of revenge. And so God said to Israel, create cities of refuge so that people could flee to them and there would be a proper system of of law and you would get a proper trial. They were cities of refuge, places of safety. There are cities around the world that are safe places in the midst of unsafe places, in the midst of upheaval and turmoil. Dubai is an incredible God-given example of that, isn't it? Because this region is one of the most unstable regions on the planet, and yet Dubai is one of the safest places to live in the world right now. God has put Dubai on the earth as a city of refuge. He's given it police force to keep it a safe place, and He has blessed it with security guards, many of you guys, girls here, who maintain safety and peace in the city. You are the salt that God has put in the city. If you're an engineer, Frank, or a city builder, Jacob, you're here somewhere. God, God has created cities to be places of human flourishing and innovation. He has put city builders to create great cities for mankind. You're here to do that. If you're in education, Andrew, many others, Jane, lots of you, if you're in education, God has put you here because you right now are raising and influencing The next city builders, the next world leaders, the next influencers. You are shaping their lives. God has you here as salt to be a blessing to the city, to be a blessing in places of education. Let me tell you, with today, with today's technological advances, you might have some of culture's real influences in your classrooms right now, (laughs) who are all over YouTube and all over Instagram, and they are the influencers. You are Influencing their lives with the gospel right now as we speak. Those of you who work for Emirates, pilots, ground crew, air crew, do you know what you do? You know what God is doing right now? God is bringing literally millions of people into cities every single month. They say that something like a new Bangkok is formed every single month of the year. People are moving to cities by the millions every month. God is moving people to cities so that they can meet him here and so that they can be one for the gospel. You guys fly people in from all over the world to this city so that they can meet God. Then you fly them safely home so that they can, sometimes into closed nations, so that they can establish cities of God where they live. And so that cities of God can be established in every city of man all over the planet. That's just a few examples of how we are called to be salt preservatives in our workplace. Very quickly, just before I go on actually, I want you to think about your own vocation. I couldn't list them all, of course. I'd be here all day. Think about your own vocation. Ask God how he has called you to be salt in the place that you work right now for the betterment of society, to stop society deteriorating. Secondly, salt is also a healing agent. If you rub salt into a wound, it stings, by the way, but again, it slows down the same organisms that cause infection, that cause meat to rot, that cause infection in your wound. Salt is a healing agent. And we are, in the same way, called to be healing agents in this city. I want to challenge us as a church... Wouldn't it be wonderful if our next marriage course and next financial freedom course are filled with people that don't know Jesus? Filled with couples who don't know Jesus, whose marriages are falling apart, and we become the healing agent for the city. Wouldn't it be incredible if we had a financial freedom course full of non-Christians who are in bondage to debt, in bondage to the city of man, who find freedom here in the city of God? Wouldn't it be incredible if we run courses that are full of non-Christians? To do that, we need to understand what parts of our society are hurting, what parts of our society need healing. We need to understand where we need to be salt, and then we need to meet those needs. I'm praying that our marriage courses, our financial freedom courses, all the courses we run are full of non-Christians. If you're on a marriage course right now, well done. Next time we run it, invite your non-Christian friends who need the same thing. Amen? And lastly, salt is a seasoning. It's what we use it for today, right? You put it on your food. And what salt does on food is it actually enhances the sweetness of food, and it blocks the bitterness of food. Now, if you're here, ladies, and your husband dumps loads of salt on your food, that could be why, okay? Salt enhances the sweetness. It blocks the bitterness you know, life in the city of man, doesn't matter what city it is, is bitter at times. For some people, it is bitter every day. It is difficult every day. Let me ask us a question. Do we, in all of our interactions in this city as Christians, make this place a sweeter, less bitter place to live? A less bitter place to exist? This is hugely challenging, by the way. Because Dubai can be difficult. How many interactions do you have on a weekly basis that are frustrating? Do we make this place a sweeter place to live or a more bitter place to live? Salt is a seasoning. I want to give us two challenges in closing, okay? Being salt and light to the city essentially means being Jesus to the city. Being salt and light to the city of man, Dubai or whatever city it is that you're from, essentially means being Jesus to the city. And that means two things. It means incarnation, and it means sacrifice. You see, Jesus was not a rural dweller, and he was not a suburban commuter, was he? See, God didn't look down from heaven and say, hey, you're in a mess. I'm up here. Here's a rope. Now, you do your best to climb up this rope, and when you get here, things will be sorted. Didn't do that, did he? What did he do? He came down He came down into the parts of society that were most bitter, that were most broken. He walked streets drenched with blood. He walked bitter places. He walked the darkest places. He was incarnate. He came. He was not a commuter. He moved right downtown. If Jesus was to move to Dubai right now, he would live in the heart of the city. If he was to move to Sharjah, he would live right in the heart of the city where most people live, where the biggest and deepest needs are. He was the ultimate salt of the earth. He came in, he walked the streets, and through his death and resurrection, he set in motion the turning back and the turning around of the decay of society. Through his work on the cross, he began a renewal that will see the world restored to what it should have been. He was the ultimate salt in society because of the incarnation, because he came. For us to be salt, we need to be incarnate. We need to be rubbed in. We need to be applied to the very parts of this society that need us the most, that are hurting the most. If we are unapproachable to society, we are not salt. I want to give us one incarnate challenge, if you would call it that, or an incarnational challenge. I don't know what the word should be. As I end this section, if, let me ask you a question. I want to ask us as a church, okay? Okay if at least half i would say maybe more of the population of dubai only wake up at 10:30 on a friday or later and rely on public transport to get anywhere because of financial restrictions if that is the case if we as a church only have one meeting that starts at 10:30 is that being incarnate is that incarnation is that being approachable to the city is that being salt to the city or do we need to think differently? Uh, God has given us a perfect venue, hasn't he? Anisha's laughing at me over there. God has given us a perfect venue. It's an incredible venue. God has blessed us with this venue. It really is amazing for the year. We love this hotel. The problem is he made one mistake. (laughs) Typical. He made it too small. He made it slightly too small. We filled it already. But God doesn't make mistakes, does he? Maybe he is forcing us and calling us as a church to think more incarnationally. The thing about this venue is we have it from 6.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Maybe we need to think about how we can reach people who don't know Jesus yet, who are not even out of bed yet. Because I tell you what, at 10.30 on a Friday morning, it's only Christians that are up. Yeah? It really is. The rest of the city is in bed. Lastly, sacrifice. See, Jesus was the ultimate light of the world because he was the ultimate sacrifice. You know, in verse 16, that's what good works means. It says, let your good works shine before men so that they glorify your Father in heaven. Good works are acts of sacrificial service. And Jesus was the ultimate act of sacrificial service. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the ultimate city on a hill. He was raised up on a cross on a hill for the city of man to see. And he was crucified. He was the ultimate sacrifice. And the result of his sacrificial service was a light to the nations, was a light to the city that has drawn many To the Father, and has made the way for many to be reconciled to the Father. I want to give us a sacrificial challenge because that is what we should be doing. Jesus says, Let your good deeds, let your sacrificial acts of service shine before men, shine in the dark city, so that when the city of man sees your acts of sacrificial service, they will glorify your Father in heaven, they will worship him. That's the result of these acts of sacrificial service. You know, one of the biggest sacrifices I think that anyone in Dubai can make, even Christians, is to lay down their own plans and their own agendas. Would you agree with that? I think one of the biggest sacrifices for people in this city to make is to lay down their own plans and agendas. Because we all came with plans and agendas. We all came here with our own plans and agendas. No matter what they might be, they are often God to us. And to lay them down, maybe to kill them, is hugely sacrificial. And yet that is what we are called to do, admitting That it's God that brought us here in the first place. That we are here because and for him. To admit that we're not here just for our own benefit. We are here for the good and for the blessing of this incredible city of Dubai. You know, that's sacrificial because that means maybe admitting that our time is not our own. Isn't time one of the most precious commodities to us? And don't we have such little of it? But maybe it's not our own. Maybe that would mean admitting that our resources and our money is not our own. Maybe that would mean admitting that our skills and abilities are not really our own, but they are God-given blessing to us so that we can be a blessing to the city of man, so that we can be salt and so that we can be Light, so that our good sacrificial works can shine as lights into the dark city of man. I'm going to close with this. Acts 17, 26 to 27 says this. He made one man, that's Abraham. Every, sorry, he made from one man, that's Abraham, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him, and perhaps find him. God has given Dubai its day right here, right now, on this planet, hasn't he? He causes kingdoms to rise. He causes kingdoms to fall. He gives kingdoms. He gives cities their time. He gives them their allotted boundaries. You know what else he does? He determines where we live. He moves us to places. You think you're here by accident? You think you're here because you decided? God moved you here for a time such as this. God has moved people, Christians to cities, so that we can move right downtown, metaphorically speaking, to be part of the city of God, to be knitted in to the culture of the city of God, so that we can be a light to the city of man, so that we can be salt to the city of man. Man, so that many would see our light. Many would see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. I'm going to pray. I'm going to hand back over to Fusi to take us into the next part of our meeting. Father God, we thank you once again this morning for Jesus. We thank you that he is the ultimate salt. He came to renew all things. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.